You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, it is with great anticipation we look into your word this morning because you have given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, this morning that your Holy Spirit would put in our minds and our hearts those things that you would have us correct, that you would have us be instructed on, that you would have us be joyful about. Lord, we know that you are sovereign and we look to you for everything. We thank you for the, um, the rain ability to get the fires in control. We just are grateful for all the firefighters. We pray for continued protection for them. And Lord, this morning we bring everything to you and thank you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will begin chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And to do that this morning, I'd like to read the whole chapter. It's 21 verses. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1494. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made, manifest, we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who, should, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Wow, what a chapter. There's a lot, a lot here. Um, no doctrine, of course. Yeah, of course there's doctrine. But uh, we'll get to see more of the heart of Paul. The first 10 verses of chapter 5 are a continuation of the thoughts expressed in chapters 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul has spoken of the difficulties he faced, and so that theme runs as almost as a subtle behind-the-text uh, thought, a subtext, if you will. Because of the work that Christ has done, Paul insists in chapter 5 that every believer, himself included, has a home in eternity. The idea of being present with the Lord is far more attractive than staying here, but knowing the fear of the Lord, <clears throat> Paul persuades others openly to trust Christ. <laughs> in this section, he also alludes to what might be some negative statements that uh, some in Corinth, the Corinthian church have made about him, about his mental capacity. Uh, the reconciliation that God has brought to each individual is a reconciliation that God expects each individual, that's each of us, to, uh, to spread through the means of the gospel. Every believer, Paul says, is a representative or an ambassador for Christ so that others might be reconciled to God. And then this chapter ends with a well-beloved verse reminding the Corinthians that all have sinned, but their sin has been imputed or placed upon or into Christ so that his righteousness can be imputed to sinners, that is, placed upon, covering them, removing the stain of sin. So that's some of the some, some of a, a little summary outline of chapter 5. So let's just dive right in. Verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Continuing Paul's acknowledgement of the assaults on his life and also simply recognizing that he was growing older, he creates a metaphor between a tent and a permanent building. Now, now, on this planet, it's not a perfect metaphor. But comparing our body to our heavenly body as a tent to a permanent building is a good metaphor. Um, it represents the difference between our earthly body and our heavenly body. One is temporary, subject to ruin and destruction. This, the other is permanent, glorious and perfect, and not subject to destruction or wear and tear at all. This reference, not made with hands, is repeated in other places in Scripture. It was misunderstood, either accidentally or intentionally, by the accusers of Christ in Mark chapter 14. They said, we heard him say in Mark chapter 14, verse 48, 58, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. John explains that he, here he was talking about the temple of his body in John 2, 19 through 21. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. Remember, even Jesus' physical earthly body was subject to wear and tear. He had a body just like ours, and we will have a body just like his someday. Yeah, <laughs> yay. Destroy this temple in three days, and I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. And then John says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. In Hebrews, the phrase is used clearly shows that the phrase used there clearly shows that the resurrection body will be a body not of this created order that we see here on earth. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And further, John also shows definitively that the new body Paul longs for, 
a body not made with hands, a body that is eternal, that will be like the body that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken for eternity. He says, it in, John says in 1 John 3, 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God. We are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. I've had quite a, a week of, of um, bumping right up against the fact that bodies, these bodies are temporary. They break, things fail, brake shoes come off, you know, alternators go out. Oh, wait a minute, wrong kind of body. I have had that too happen. <laughs> but my fa many of you read my father-in-law has just had a pacemaker installed. Apparently his original pacemaker ain't happening. And uh, so... Our eternal body, the pacemaker will be perfect. The pacemaker will be perfect. So the believer lives in a constant state of what I call glorious tension. Now, tension can be used in different ways. Tension can be a good thing. Like there's a torque, there's a, a torsion bar underneath many, many vehicles, and that tension that's cranked into that torsion bar keeps your wheels, is the spring loading in your wheels so that your ride is nice. That's a good tension. That's kind of what I'm talking about here. Um, Tension not in the sense that it is difficult, but simply as one truly understands the scripture, a state of anticipation and yet contentment occurs. We're looking forward to the perfect body, to the time being with Christ, but we're content here. We're happy. It's, it's, it's good. We are content with what God has given us, but we long for glory. Both of these attitudes are good biblical attitudes. And it is interesting that they can be juxtaposed and not be inconsistent with one another. It is good to be glad of life. It is good to, be, to delight in the relationships we have with others. It is also good to long for the perfect life to come when we will be with the Lord forever and we will enjoy him and worship him perfectly. And we will be with the saints in glory. So it's, it's a good tension, as I point out, that you can, you can be grateful and content with what we have here and yet long to be with the Lord. Any questions or comments about verse 1? For we know. Verse 2, for indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. One of the other, a couple days ago when I got up and one of my knees was ignoring my commands. And uh, so I groaned. It, uh, it's just amazing. We wear out. And... Uh, but we're not going to. Paul continues his comments about the body. This is still coming from the heart of an apostle who had endured much for his beloved church. His body and his spirit have absorbed much here on earth, and he longs for the time when he will be clothed with an immortal body in the heavenly places. Here we see the soul of the apostle laid bare. Yes, he is resolute in his determination to bring the gospel to as many as he can, but his desire is to be with Christ. He has said this elsewhere markedly in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, he says, for, to me, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress 
and joy in the faith. So he wanted to go and be with Christ, but he knew that he still had work to do. And as long as we have work to do, we're basically indestructible except for our knees. There was no dualism in Paul's thought. This was not Greek dualism. This fall, the false Greek idea that the spirit was all that was important and, and, and could only flourish when the body was done away with. That had been dealt with by Paul before in other places. Indeed, in 1 Corinthians, he wrote an entire chapter, chapter 15, to disabuse the Corinthians of this false idea. Paul was talking about the exchange of, an in, of a corruptible body for an incorruptible body, for an imperfect body with a perfect body, with a, for a body that was breaking down and subject to the vicissitudes of age and deterioration for a body that had none of those problems. Not the simple abandonment of a body to be a spirit. He knew that in the time between death and Christ's resurrection, those inhabiting heaven would be spirits only, and he longed for the consummation of time when that perfect body would be given him and, in, and in also as well given to all the saints in heaven. Any questions about verse 2? We're going to talk about this intermediate time in a bit here. Inasmuch as we having put it on, will not be found naked, verse 3. This also is a reference to his desire to have that perfect body. He looked forward to the time when his spirit would be re reunited with the resurrection body that Christ is giving all believers at the end. Paul knew that in God's perfect design, and since the Lord Jesus Christ himself had a perfect resurrection body, all of the church would be best suited with a body to praise and adore God forever. Barclay has commented on this um, in his before, and we've talked about it before. He said this, We have had occasion before to see how the Greek and Roman thinkers despised the body. The body, they said, tomb. Plotinus would say he was ashamed that he had a body. Epictetus, Epictetus said of himself, Thou art a poor soul burdened with a corpse. Seneca wrote, I am a higher being and born for higher things than to be the slave of my body, which I look upon as only a shackle put upon my freedom. In so detestable a habitation dwells the free soul. Even Jewish thought sometimes had this idea. In the wisdom of Solomon, it says, for the, corruption, for the corruptible body presses down upon the soul, and the earthly tabernacle weighs down the mind that muses on many things. With Paul, there is a difference. He is not looking for a nirvana with the peace of extinction. He is not looking for absorption in the divine. He is not looking for the freedom of a disembodied spirit. He is waiting for the day when God will give him a new body, a spiritual body in which he will still be able, even in the heavenly places, to serve and to adore God. That was how Paul felt. He saw eternity not as a release into permanent inaction, but as the entry into a body in which service could be complete. The song perpetuates the myth that we will be floating around on clouds with harps and halos. That's not in scripture. It's a nice song, but don't get your doctrine from songs. We will be busy judging angels. Who knows what all God has planned for eternity? But it's not as if God just sits around looking at four eternal walls. He is a busy person. And so will we be. Any questions about that? About our coming body? Anybody excited about that? The younger you are, the less excited you are, I think. The older you get, and the more, and more intimate with the scripture and, and the truth of what's coming, I think it, it begins to really, uh, in a proper way, intrude on your mind. And you get a little bit excited about it. Very excited about it. 
Verse 4, for indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life, true life. Repeating his statement in verse 2, Paul emphasizes the idea of the difficulties of this life and the burdens. <clears throat> and sometimes it does seem that life is all problems, does it not? But it isn't. It isn't. We have been given great blessings by the Lord of heaven. Salvation alone is an unbelievable miracle and gift. Alone. If that, God owes us nothing but eternal hell. Salvation alone, if that was the only thing we received and then we were ushered into the presence of God, it would have been an eternity more than enough. Add to that the relationships we have with family and other believers in Christ. Here, Paul is yearning for that time when we will be, as John said, like Christ, and we will see him just as he is. Augustine, in his writings, explained that it isn't the body that's the problem, but rather the corruption of the body that must be addressed by God, divesting it and giving us a new body. He said this, he said, we are then burdened with this corruptible body, but knowing that the cause of this burdensomeness is not the nature and substance of the body, but its corruption, we do not desire to be deprived of the body, but to be clothed with its immortality. Therefore, if Adam had not sinned, he would not have been divested of his body, but would have been clothed upon with immortality and incorruption that mortality might have been swallowed up of life. That is, that he might have passed from the natural body into the spiritual body without the intermediate us here on this planet, groaning and waiting for the return of Christ. Paul did not groan so much for the removal of his earthly body. It was not that he wanted to get rid of it. What he wanted was the blessing of the eternal perfect body that God had promised. So he's, he's making sure that he's not... The, the concept, the philosophy of Greek dualism permeated this culture. And he's making sure that he's not giving it any substance in his, in his expl explanations and in Scripture. And then in so much, now he who prepared us for this very purpose, verse 5, is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. God in eternity past prepared each and every believer for the work which he had consecrated for them. That work included the difficulties that come when one is a disciple of Christ. The work and the life that God prepared come with a guarantee that those chosen sovereignly by God would accomplish all of the purposes that he intended. You're not going to mess up and not get something God wanted you to get done. He sovereignly purposed that you would accomplish everything in this life that he created as a work for you to do. Ephesians chapter 2. So these deeds, if you will, or these activities, these happenings, they would include salvation, and I've compressed this, living, dying, and receiving an immortal body. So that's quite a bit in between salvation and receiving an immortal body, especially for many of us who've, who've been around a while. At least it's a while in uh, terms related to earthly time. Compared to eternity, it's, it's not even a blink. But, so when, here's an interesting, it's funny, I got, a, I got an actual um, first-hand experience with this this week. Never, never done this before. But the word pledge is an earnest. It is money which in purchases is given as a pledge or a down payment that the full amount will subsequently be paid. Um, 
it's an earnest money, a large part of the payment sometimes given in advance as a security that the whole will be paid afterwards. When someone decides to purchase a house, it's common for them to plunk down a, a chunk of money which is called earnest money. This is a prepayment guaranteeing the seller that the buyer will consummate the deal by paying the entire amount for the home. Imagine, if you will, the earnest money is the Holy Spirit himself. The third person of the Trinity is your down payment that you will get that perfect immortal body, that you will spend an eternity in heaven with him, that you will have all the glories that God has promised. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. What's that worth? Imagine. This is the most secure guarantee in the universe and beyond. If the Holy Spirit is the earnest money, if you will, for your glorification with an immortal body, the final payment will certainly be made. Period. And that final payment, one of the, one of the aspects of that final payment is an immortal body. This is one of the strongest evidences that we are eternally secure in Christ. The down payment was made, and the final payment will be made. The down payment was made by the triune God. And one of the installments, if you will, the prepayment, is the guarantee you have by being indwelt by the Holy Spirit himself. And the final payment will be made by the triune God when he transfer, translates you into the kingdom of light and gives you that new body. Can his promises be broken? You can say no. It's, it's, this is a good thing. Can, can God's promises be broken? Can he be found unfaithful to the things he has promised us? Same thing. He cannot. He cannot. And this is something that, that uh, the Greek <coughs> philosophies and philosophers would have seen time and time again. Their gods were so unfaithful. They, they did the kind of the same things in heaven that we do here on earth, unfaithful things to each other. So this was, this was different. This was a, a different way of thinking for them, for the Corinthians and for others in this time, in this early Roman time. God was faithful. Down payment was made, final payment guaranteed. Any questions or comments about that? Peter. So as I understand it, we will have the Holy Spirit with us through eternity. Yes. And the triune God with us, yes. All will have the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice in the Old Testament that it's referred numerous times, the Spirit of God came upon people. It was different, of course, in the Old Testament. But, but in eternity, eternity to come, all of us will have the payment that God has made. And that payment includes the Holy Spirit. Nobody, nobody will be a second-class citizen, if you will. That would be second-class. Any other questions? Verse, uh, where are we? Verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, sometimes I don't feel that way, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. The courage that Paul refers to here is not a transient sense of superiority or ability, but rather a settled confidence that comes from knowing he will receive an immortal body. The therefore refers back to the first five verses. Among other things, from the confidence Paul had that he would be with the Lord in a glorified immortal body, he can say that this would give him constant courage. Here we have the first part of the statement that Paul will conclude in verse 8. The life of a believer 
is a life of faith. And Paul notes that while a believer is alive, now, sometimes it seems like scripture writers state the obvious. That's a good thing. We need to have the obvious stated for us sometimes. One plus one really is two. There really are only two genders. Really. Sorry. I self-identify as a trailer hitch sometime right there, but... But other than that, there really are only two. You know, sometimes we need the obvious stated. So Paul says, while we are at home in the body, guess what? We're absent from the Lord. But he does it in a cool Greek way where he uses two words that have just different prefixes, and it's a play on words. So Paul has this confidence. Here we have the first part of the statement that Paul will conclude in verse 8. The life of a believer is a life of faith. And Paul notes that while a believer is alive... He is absent from the Lord. The two words used are compounds of the same base. At home is endometo and refers to being in one's own country or among one's own people. It is to be home with all that means. So while we are at home here in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Absent is endometo and it means to be out and about, to have emigrated, to be away from home. It is a juxtaposition comparing the old home to the new home, the old home being the body and the new home being heaven. <laughs> this verse, coupled with verse 8, which we will get to soon, before the road work is done in Sandpoint, one of the strongest, is one of the strongest doctrinal proofs that there is no intermediate state. There is no purgatory. There is no soul sleep. To be one place is to be absent from the other. To be absent from this place is to be present in the other. The journey is instantaneous. Yes, it's in Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to do something with that. I intend to do something with it. It, it involves scissors. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to be here is not to be there. To be there is not to be here. It's really as simple as that. Paul is trying to make this children A plus B equals C. Any questions, children? But what about these? Shut up. That's what he's doing. To, to be in the body, to be absent from heaven. To be absent from the body is to be in heaven. For we walk by faith. Now, it's kind of like he had to toss this in, this little parenthetical statement. Now, Paul inserts this parenthetical statement, reminding the Corinthians that their journey here, our journey here is a journey of faith. And many of the things he is explaining cannot be seen, because they are spiritual, but they can be spiritually discerned as one studies and understands by God's grace the scriptures. By faith, we can have a relationship with the eternal God while we are absent from heaven. At this point, we can have a relationship by sight. And this faith is not wishful thinking, but rather is a settled conviction based upon scriptures, the scriptures that glory awaits us while duty is imposed upon us here. Any questions about those two verses, really? So what does it mean to be here? Where, where are we not? Yeah. And if we're there, then where are we not? Here. I love it. I love simple scriptures. Verse 8, we are of good courage. And then he waxes British, I say. And prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. We're of good courage, but he says we would rather be home with the Lord and absent from the body. That 
is the true desire of every believer. That the word for courage is the same word used in verse 6. This is Paul's preference. Knowing that to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Again, there is no intermediate purgatory or soul sleep. There is here or there. I'm going to beat this horse until it's bloody. This also implies a much closer relationship with the Lord than we have here. Though we have scripture and we have the Holy Spirit, this is still an inferior relationship than the fa- to, compared to the face-to-face relationship we will have in eternity. A final word about the nature of that time between the death of saints and the return of Christ. We're going to probably finish early today. We are. And the resurrection of the dead. A final word, let me read that sentence again. A final word about the nature of that time between the death of the saints and the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Prior to the final resurrection, everyone who dies goes to their allotted judgment, whether it is heaven or hell in spirit form. Now, I need to hasten to say there are all kinds of ideas about this section here, including including uh, working in verses like Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, I believe it is. But we can't get, there are some places in scriptures where you can't get dogmatic. And these are secondary importances. These are doctrines of secondary importance, if you will. They're still good. That doesn't mean they aren't important. But I'm not going to be able to give you a clear, final dissertation about this. So let's just walk through it here. It won't be until after the return of Christ, when the dead Christ is raised and everyone is given a new body, that believers will enjoy the immortal body that has been promised. Hebrews chapter 12 gives an indication of the situation in verse 23. Hebrews 12, 23. Can't remember if I... There it is, Hebrews 12, 23. To the general assembly, the writer of Hebrews says, and to the church, and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the church of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And further, in Revelation chapter 6, at the breaking of the fifth seal, we find another statement regarding this. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So thus, from the beginning of time until the resurrection of the dead, the spirits or the souls of those who depart, who have passed on, are present either in heaven or hell right now. They're not here, so they are there. There's no intermediate. And remember, we've talked about this. Purgatory is in Kansas. Has anybody ever seen any souls there or spirits? Maybe liquor, but wrong kind of spirits. <clears throat> There's no intermediate time, no intermediate body, no waiting time, no purgatory. There is here as it has been mentioned, and there is there. There is there. There is this body which gives way upon death before the final resurrection was spirit in the presence of God. Then, at the final resurrection, all the spirits will be rejoined with their final immortal perfect body. And that is the time that Paul is looking forward to. He can't wait, but he will wait. He doesn't want to be here, but he will be here. He doesn't want to keep on keeping on, but he will keep on keeping on. This is the glory and the job and the duty that God has given him. And it's the same for us. Today, while it is yet day, 
because the night comes. We have the obligation to be ambassadors for Christ, to be those who are ministers of reconciliation. How are we going to do that today? The, the wonderful thing about the scripture is that it isn't this just this ethereal statement about the goings-on here and the goings-on there. It's a practical, everyday guide as well as those other things. It is a God-given, Holy Spirit-driven tool to make us useful today as purveyors of the gospel of reconciliation so that others can recognize that their time here is but fleeting, but the time in eternity is, in a word, forever. And we need to be about that business of reconciling people to God, reconciling our family, reconciling our friends. And I say that, but I don't, want, I don't want the wrong intent to come through. We are not responsible for that reconciliation. God is responsible. We are responsible for our part in bringing the word of God to those whom he in time past, eternity past, said we would bring it to. <clears throat> so we're going to finish early today. i sorry to do that. There's, there's coffee back there. But any questions or comments? about this section, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Thomas. <laughs> oh, you mean, you're not talking about a mechanic underneath the car fixing something. You're just talking about someone, yes. It's a, it's a what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a comparison. It's a statement of a comparison. Other questions? It's a good time. We got 10 minutes. You can really lambaste me. I have to say, and so the, the experience I had this week brought this home. I was studying this when this happened. We had a sale on our house. We we're selling our house. We had an earnest payment. They took it back. I didn't. And I remember at the time that it happened, after I got over kind of the shock that they changed their mind, the Holy Spirit isn't going to do that. He's not going to go, oh, Thomas, I, you're actually not worth it. Well, none of us are worth it. I forgot this obligation, and there's too much work. You're just going to be too much work. So, so I've changed my mind. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. What an unbelievable thing. I mean, after having this happen, you know, you just kind of go, what? A whole series of procedures that were going to happen. It's all changed now. And we had committed ourselves to a direction. The direction you've been committed to by trusting Christ, by God sovereignly electing you, is a direction that he will take you through every single step, faithfully, without mistake. We get to make the mistakes. He doesn't. And the time will come when we will be there and we will, the gratefulness we have now will be nothing compared with the gratefulness we have then. And that's why I believe our ability to praise him there will far, far supersede our ability to do it here because we'll see him as he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth that uh, the down payment you made is permanent and perfect and will never be withdrawn. You cannot, you cannot and will not ever go back on one of your promises, not a single one of them. And so many have been made that we can cling closely to. 
knowing that you will give us an immortal perfect body. But more than that, you will bring us to be with yourself. And so as we go out into the world this morning, as we listen to the message this morning, might we be concerned about how we can bring the gospel of reconciliation to those who need it so that they can have this, this inner joy, this delight, this recognition that the God of all, all creation will never fail. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.